Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com and Gusto. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Gusto offers modern benefits to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. As a listener, you'll get three months free when you run your first payroll. Sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash accelerate. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. Uh, We recently uh, were put on the list of 12 business podcasts to listen to if you want to increase your sales on allbusiness.com. And that was um, also shared on Forbes.com. So we're pretty excited about that. That is really because of the guests uh, who join me for a conversation. These are folks who have expertise in a particular area of business and they give of their time and their knowledge to all of you so that you can get the answers to the questions that you have or the things you've been wondering about and you can take actionable information back into your business uh, so you can be more successful and happier. 
Today is no different. My guest today is Allie Smith. Allie is the Product Marketing Manager for Trademark.com. She's worked on intellectual property SaaS solutions for the last several years of her marketing career and believes in making world-class resources available, accessible, and affordable to businesses of all sizes. Based in Boston, Allie holds an MBA from the University of Warwick in the UK. Thanks so much for joining me today, Allie. Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm happy to have you here. I um, really want to jump right in on this, and I'm wondering if you would share with the listeners why trademarking is so important, not just for business owners, but I would say especially in the small business space. Mm, definitely. So, you know, what it comes down to is the fact that brands are valuable, but they're also really vulnerable, right? So a brand is a, a business's identity. You know, it represents its products and services, sure, but, you know, it's also its market reputation. Um, you know, a brand is a promise of consistency and re reliability to customers. And at the end of the day, like, those are the foundations of trust and loyalty, uh, but, you know, just creating and using a, like a word or um, a logo or a slogan um, to distinguish your business isn't really enough to keep someone else from using it, too. Um, and actually, in the U.S., um, it's sort of common law marks, uh, you know, when you just pick uh, a word or a logo and start using that to identify your business. Um, these don't provide any protection from copycats beyond your local area where you do business. Um, and so that's why it's really important uh, to properly trademark a brand by registering it with the um, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in the U.S. Uh, this gives your business a lot more protection in the form of, uh, you know, proper legal ownership nationwide. Do you think that people think to themselves uh, when, when they start a business and they get a logo and, and whatnot, that they think... Um, well, as long as I'm covered locally, I don't necessarily need to worry about it. And they're, and they're not necessarily thinking about long-term, what the possibilities are of where they could take their business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one of the the main things we, um, you know, really promote businesses thinking about is, um, you know, the mark or the brand that you're starting with today is hopefully going to, you know, carry you through many business successes to come in the future. And it's so important to do your planning up front around your brand and around your trademark so that you don't run into issues in the future, um, you know, particularly around geographic expansion um, or even international expansion. Um, these kinds of things are super important to think about up front. Okay. And you just made me think of, of something else. I felt like when you were first, you know, talking about why it's so important, that there could potentially be a risk of someone using a company's um, mark uh, and and not provide the same level of service or quality uh, as the company, mm. and and that that could be damaging to them if if they're not really paying attention. Is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the consequences of trademark infringement are real. Um, you know, about we there was a survey conducted that um, indicated about 74% of 
um, you know, about three quarters of brands reported experiencing some sort of copycat activity just in the past year. And the most commonly reported um, consequences of this kind of, of infringement, trademark infringement, um, include customer confusion. So like you said, you know, if your business has a phenomenal reputation for, you know, selling a particular product or providing a given service, and you have a copycat out there in the market that you end up competing with, that your customers can't tell the difference between, you know, your business and the other. They think that they're related in some fashion. And the other business is really providing, you know, a subpar experience. Like that is going to have um, a very tangible impact on your own business. So we're talking about erosion of customer trust, um, loss of revenue, um, you know, just the absolute sunk time, energy, and resource that it takes to resolve these kinds of disputes if you're not proactive about monitoring for them in the market. Um, and, you know, in the worst case scenario, which certainly is not unheard of, you know, businesses can find that they need to completely rebrand. Um, and I think one thing that's really important for small businesses, with businesses of any size, really to understand is that it really doesn't matter whether you're the copycat or the victim. Um, the damage done on both sides is really significant. So, you know, if you're thinking about launching a brand, it really is your responsibility to do your due diligence up front and make sure that you are not intentionally or otherwise um, being a copycat on someone else's trademark. Um, and if you're a trademark owner and you have a brand, it's your responsibility to, um, you know, keep an eye on the market and look for copycats. Um, and also another uh, another thing that businesses often overlook is, um, you know, once you've registered your mark, yes, you have formally secured uh, nationwide rights to that uh, brand in the U.S., but it's important to understand that the trademark office is not an enforcement body. They are just a regulatory body that helps, um, you know, business owners um, secure marks. Uh, but they are not responsible for, um, you know, enforcing that mark uh, once it has been registered. And that's usually a big source of confusion for people. They think that um, the trademark office is kind of making sure that there aren't any copycats and that, you know, they're letting everybody know that they're the particular owner of this mark. But that's absolutely not the case. That is 100% the responsibility of the trademark owner. That's a huge point. I think you're right. I think people do think they're like the trademark police. Exactly. But, yeah, but that's like really only at the beginning, right, to make sure that you're not trying to get a trademark on something that already is. Exactly. So um, maybe it's helpful to talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the process works for trademark registration. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so, you know, it really all starts out with picking a unique name. Um, I can't stress how important this is. Um, and another thing that's, that's really critical to understand is that not all trademarks are actually eligible for registration with the trademark office. So there is actually a spec, what's called like the spectrum of distinctiveness. And it sounds like a little jargony, but it's pretty easy to understand. Basically, um, the trademark office breaks down potential brand names um, into a scale. And on the low end, there are what are called generic names. And these are just, you know, common terms. Um, so for example, if I sell 
fruit, I couldn't call my business apple. Like that's just a, a descriptive generic term um, for my product. At the other end of this distinctiveness spectrum, uh, there are what are called fanciful uh, marks. And this are this is a category of marks that are, you know, totally made up essentially, sort of almost nonsense words that don't have any other meaning. So like Xerox is an example of that. And so is Google. Um, and basically these marks are very considered to be very, very strong because they don't have any other association attached to them. Like your business is going to be the only um, association that customers would have with that word. The flip side is that it takes a lot of work as a business, right? To, yeah. to get that message out into the market and build that brand equity around that name. But the payoff is that you're very unlikely to encounter another business in the same area of service or, you know, with, the, with similar products to your own. Um, if you, if you go that route. Um, so, you know, marks that are very generic and very common, the USPTO actually often won't even register. Marks that are very unique um, are fanciful or even arbitrary. So arbitrary marks are where um, a business uses an existing word for their brand, but their product is not in any way connected to the connotation of that, of that um, word. So Apple is a great example, um, you know, the um, technology company computer and technology company. Um, so again, the first step is to pick a unique name, hopefully something made up, something where you're not going to have a lot of existing competition or even future competition. Um, and then the second step is to, and this is absolutely critical, is to make sure that no one else is already using that name or a name that's really similar. So it's advisable to go out and look at businesses, products, services, um, not only in just your own industry, but also in related ones, um, you know, where there might be some common customer overlap. Um, and stay away from picking something that, you know, sounds similar to an existing mark or might be spelled similarly or something that has a similar meaning. So, you know, if you find, you know, if you pick a name, and then you do your research and you find that, um, you know, someone else with a similar uh, business offering has that name and you decide to just change one letter. It's not a good play. It's not going to serve you in the long run. You really want to be as unique as possible. Um, and another thing that's really important to be aware of is that um, it's important to stay away from famous marks. So, um, this is usually pretty intuitive, but I think it bears repeating that, um, you know, really famous marks like Nike or McDonald's or, um, you know, these, these businesses that have huge, deep customer recognition that you could basically go anywhere in the U.S. And, you know, if you ask, uh, you know, your average consumer if they're aware of this brand, they're likely to say yes. Then it's important to um, make sure that there's no, you know, that the name that you're pursuing doesn't have any similarity um, or couldn't be confused with a famous brand like that. Um, famous brands benefit from special, a special level of protection um, that is important to be aware of. Um, so when you're searching for, uh, looking for similarities, one source that's really important, you know, everyone knows to kind of conduct a Google search and maybe look at registered business names, but you absolutely can't overlook the importance of 
searching the U.S. Uh, Patent and Trademark Office database of currently registered trademarks. Um, because this is the exact search that the trademark office is going to do when they receive your application. So there are a number of services out there, including um, ones on trademark.com, that are very easy to use and are very, um, you know, kind of layperson friendly. You don't necessarily need, um, you know, to have deep legal expertise to kind of kick this off and get your search started. Um, but looking at the, the trademark database is incredibly important because it's showing you all of the marks that have successfully been registered by the PTO um, and the goods and services or the, you know, products and services that that mark relates to um, and who owns the mark and all those kinds of details. So it gives you a very, um, you know, comprehensive understanding of the landscape, uh, you know, the brand landscape as it stands. And if you have anything sort of similar to anything that comes up in that search of already registered marks, it's really advisable to go back to the drawing table because you're just setting yourself up for potential headache um, going forward. Um, so after you've done your search and you feel pretty good about your name, the next step is to um, complete and submit a trademark registration application. Um, so we found that a lot of uh, people generally don't necessarily know that it takes a while to get a trademark. Um, the process takes on average about 10 months. And um, when you put your application together, you're not guaranteed to get the mark registered. Uh, it goes to the trademark office and they review it for completeness. They wanna make sure that you gave them all the data that they need in order to evaluate your application. Um, and they conduct that similarity search, as I mentioned. Um, it's really advisable to have a trademark attorney review your application, um, just to make sure that you sort of have the best shot going into the process because it takes as long as it does. Um, and also the trademark office is not gonna give you your money back if, you, uh, if they reject your application. So you really wanna make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted kind of going in. Okay, wait, I have a question um, about that. Sure. Hang on one second. Uh, so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, wow, 10 months, does that mm -hmm. mean that they shouldn't or can't conduct business until they've gotten the trademark, or can they go ahead and do business while all of that is going through and use their mark? Yeah, that's that a great question. Okay. Yes. Um, so... Indeed, it's really important to use your mark. Um, so we would say that um, if you've done all your upfront homework um, and you have you know, done your due diligence of searching for a unique name and you feel really confident that you're not being a copycat um, and there's nothing out there that's gonna pose a problem for you, then absolutely you should start using your name. And actually in the US, um, it's it, the um, the uh, legal preference is actually given to um, those uh, brand owners who are first to use their name as opposed to the first to file um, a registration application with the trademark office. Um, that's something that's really uh, unique about the U.S. There are a couple of other countries that are first to use countries, um, but in other areas of the world, it's often whoever gets to the trademark office fastest. 
Um, so absolutely, trademark owners should, um, or business, small business owners should absolutely start using their mark as soon as they're confident that, um, you know, they're in the clear and that they're not going to have any infringement issues with it. Um, in fact, the tra that's one of the uh, key pieces of your application that the trademark office will ask you is, you know, can you prove the date of first use of, um, you know, using this brand to identify your goods and services in the market? Because we, as we discussed, it kind of establishes a hierarchy of, um, you know, who can claim rights to that to that mark. Now, if you start using a mark um, and you don't ever file a uh, trademark registration application, you have what are called common law rights, um, and that does give you a little bit of ownership and protection um, in relation to the mark, but it's. Uh, at a very low level. So um, it really only relates to um, being able to pursue copycat disputes or trademark infringement disputes in your local area. Um, so, uh, you know, at the state level or even, um, even more narrow than that. Uh, so for example, if I, you know, own a bakery and I call it, uh, you know, Allie's Pastries, um, and I'm here in Boston, if another Alley's Pastry opens in, you know, California, I can't do anything about that if I haven't registered my mark. Um, as a common law uh, trademark owner, my rights are limited just to sort of my immediate um, location. So if someone opens around the corner, I might have a standing if I can prove that I've been using this mark longer than this competitor, um, but only if they're in my immediate jurisdiction. Yeah, that's a, that's a biggie. Thank you for that, because I think that is also one of the things that um, confuses people. So um, yeah. let me take a quick sponsor break, and then let's you know go on with that. Cool. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com and Gusto. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Breathe to Succeed by Sandy Abrams and Leading Loyalty by Lena Renee. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Everybody loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? That's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern. You might fall in love yourself. Listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. So visit gusto.com accelerate to check it out. Today we're speaking with Allie Smith about protecting your brand. So Allie, I interrupted you when you were going through the process of um, you know, the steps that it takes to register a trademark. So did I stop you? in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close, actually. So we talked about, uh, you know, picking a unique name, doing your due diligence to make sure that you're not a copycat if you decide to go forward using that name, 
um, submitting an application to the PTO. So um, once the trademark office gets your application, um, it sits in the queue for a while. Um, there's a huge volume in the US. Uh, the trademark office processes about 1,600 applications daily, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, so what happens is basically a, in a, a trademark examiner is assigned to your application. This is uh, a lawyer that works for um, the trademark office. They conduct that search against existing registered marks that we talked about before. They make, your, make sure your application is complete. Um, and then if everything, if they find any problems, they're going to write to you and let you know. Um, and, you know, you kind of need to address that in order to move forward. But if everything is good and, you know, your application is, um, you know, stands up to their, to their scrutiny and their review, they will um, publish what's called publishing your um, mark. And at this point, there's a really interesting process that happens. So after the trademark office examiner signs off and says, you know, yes, this application is good to go, the mark is published in what's called the official gazette of the trademark office. This feels a little antiquated, but basically what they do is they start a 30-day period called the opposition period where anyone with a valid claim um, can essentially make an argument to the trademark office for why your mark shouldn't be published. So there are many instances where the examiner will sign off on everything. It looks good, good to go. Then your mark gets published for opposition. And this is where it really pays off as a small business owner or a trademark owner to be paying attention. Um, a lot of people don't understand that there is an opposition period. Um, but this essentially, it's almost like a little bit of cover for the trademark office. Like, you know, they're reviewing 1,600 marks a day. They're doing the absolute best they can to make sure that they're, you know, before they grant a mark, that there are no conflicts. But they're humans, right? Like, and they have great tools, but there's always room for error. And so they have this opposition period where they open it up to anybody um, who might have an issue with an, ex for, um, an issue with a mark that is, is, you know, pending registration. And it's, it's fairly straightforward to file an opposition. You know, you can get the help of an attorney. Um, it's sort of some paperwork to fill out to explain uh, how you or your business would be harmed by this mark being registered. Um, and then if the, if the PTO, you know, accepts your claim, there's basically like a little mini hearing that happens um, in, in trademark court, essentially. Um, and, you know, it gets worked out from there. Um, and so if you don't face any opposition, then you're granted rights to your mark and everything's great. You know, if you do face an opposition, they can often be um, uh, some sort of negotiation can often be worked out out of court. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, agreements struck between business owners where they can kind of find uh, an ability to coexist with two marks that might be similar either by, you know, limiting the products and services that the mark applies to or, you know, agreeing on uh, geographic um, territories or that kind of thing. But um, if you already have a registered mark, it's incredibly important to pay attention to uh, the new incoming marks that are waiting to be registered uh, during this opposition period. It's a rolling 30 days. 
Um, so every, you know, every mark has a different date. You really need to pay constant attention to um, the marks that are in this pipeline because this is your opportunity to be proactive. And if there is something, you know, if there's a mark coming down the pipe that is, you know, potentially um, suspiciously similar to your own or identical to your own and also in your um, your industry, you definitely want to stand up and say something about that and enforce your existing trademark rights. Um, it's significantly cheaper than uh, waiting for the mark to actually be registered and filing a lawsuit. It's a, it's a much more um, efficient and effective process than um, sort of full-blown litigation. Um, of course, it's a lot for a small business or really any business <laughs> to uh, keep track of all these marks, right? And, you know, way back in the day, um, actually not that long ago, it was like a an actual paper like journal <laughs> that got mailed around um, that attorneys primarily would look at. But, you know, now in the age of uh, online everything and, um, you know, all the excellent data tools we have out there, there are a number of services, um, including a fantastic one on trademark.com that um, automatically scan this incoming data from the trademark office every single day and alert you only when um, a potentially problematic mark has been detected. Um, so it's sort of something, it's like a, a little bit of a set it and forget it. You don't need to be constantly pouring over this data to make sure that there aren't any, you know, potential copycats that are going to register a similar mark to yours. Um, this service is so great because it just lets you know when there's a problem. Um, you know, it kind of takes that worry off your mind. Um, yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about it. I was thinking, wow, that is a lot for um, someone to do. But if they are monitoring their trademark either through the tool on trademark.com or, you know, who knows how, um, and they notice that someone is attempting to register something similar, what do they do? Right. So it depends a little bit where um, that mark is in the process. Um, obviously, if you've caught it uh, because you're looking at trademark registration data, then clearly they've, you know, applied for that mark. Um, if it hasn't reached the opposition period yet, uh, you have a number of options. So one thing is, one option available is to, um, you know, put together a protest letter or a cease and desist. Um, you can do that, you know, on your own or with the help of an attorney. And um, all the applicant information is listed right there, you know, in um, at least on trademark.com's alerts. We give you all the information that you would need to be able to um, put that kind of document together and get it out to the other party. Um, so you can, you know, simply send a letter indicating that, you know, you hold these rights and there's a conflict. Um, another option is to file um, an opposition once it does hit that 30-day period. Um, you can also reach out to the PTO in advance and let them know that the mark that they're reviewing conflicts um, with your prior rights. Um, and then, you know, like oftentimes we've seen um, even just the act of reaching out many times uh, the other party will be willing to have some sort of discussion or they'll withdraw their application. Um, so the recommendation is really to um, take some variety of action uh, as soon as you 
determine that there is a potential problem. That's one of the things that's really important in terms of uh, maintaining your trademark rights is that you can demonstrate that any time that there has been, you know, um, a substantiated conflict that you uh, did take action um, against the infringer um, to show that, you know, you're, you're exercising your rights. Right. Yeah, boy, that, that, that is a huge point. It actually, um, I had a strange thing happen when I wrote my first book and we um, gave it a title and my publisher said, go get the URL. And when I went to get the URL, there was someone who already yeah. had it and he didn't have a book. He had a program that um, had the same name. And so I reached out to my publisher and I said, do we have a problem here? No, we'll be fine. Well, we weren't fine because once the book <laughs> published, the guy reached out to me, emailed me, and he said, hey, listen, uh, you know, wondering if you could stop using that name. I have a trademark on it. And so mm-hmm. we had retitled the book because I, I was like, okay, I'm oh. touching this. This is, you know, I get it. But, um, but it was interesting because my understanding was you can't trademark a book title, but you can trademark like an educational program, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a group of DVDs or something or, or uh, yeah. booklets or whatever that, that teach something. And that's what he had done. It just mm-hmm. had the same name. It was just too close because his was on business. Right. Mine was on sales. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. You know, as a trademark owner, you're trying to prevent any possible instance of customer confusion. And it sounds like, you know, the book in the program, if they have a very similar focus and there's a total possibility that there could be, you know, an audience overlap, then, um, you know, it makes sense that, that he reached out with that. Um, it's also a little bit like, you know, like, uh, adverse possession, excuse me, adverse possession and property where, you know, if you know about an instance of infringement and you don't do anything about it, it can be much harder to act, uh, down the line. Um, you know, uh, if you, if you encounter future infringement, you know, courts don't look on that very favorably. If there are other instances of infringement that you, um, you know, didn't act on. So should it come to litigation, it's really important to be able to prove that, you know, you've been enforcing your trademark rights and actually trademark monitoring, um, is considered, um, a form of enforcement that just shows that, you know, you're really invested in this mark, um, you know, you're invested in protecting it and you're using it currently. Um, those are all really important considerations um, if you do end up in an um, infringement suit. Wow. So, um, what was the question? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, if someone, this is going to maybe sound like a strange question, but if someone's thinking to themselves that they have the domain for their brand, if they're thinking mm-hmm. that that means they automatically have their trademark, um, it, that's not the case, is it? No, that's that's a very common um, misconception, honestly. Um, so... Um, the, uh, owning a website domain does not give you trademark rights. They're really not connected. So, you know, oftentimes if you are thinking about 
um, launching a product or launching a new brand or launching a business under a given name, uh, you're probably going to want the domain um, if there is an online, you know, channel to your presence. Um, and so it's really smart to check domain availability before you go down the um, trademark route. But vice versa, if you've already secured the domain and you don't have a trademark, someone can come along and file um, a, a registration application with the PTO. And if they're approved, then they own that mark. Um, and, you know, you can end up in conflict there. Um, if you're able to prove that you have pre-existing common law rights, um, by having that domain. So maybe, um, you know, you sell something through that site or um, you're using it to deliver services to customers. You may have some um, common law rights there just by, you know, having a web presence under that name, but it's, it's um, very thin, I would say. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not a safe assumption by any means, you know, they're technically not connected, and um, if you want to kind of be in the realm of best practice, we definitely recommend, um, you know, securing your mark through the PTO and not relying on just having an exclusive, uh, exclusive domain. Okay. And will you explain the difference between the TM and the R symbols? So this is, again, a little bit tricky sometimes. Um, so the TM symbol uh, just stands for trademark. And this is a way of telling the world that you are using a particular um, logo, uh, word, combination thereof as your trademark. So this is the way that you are identifying um, your goods, you know, your products and services out in the market. Um, you do not have to have a um, registered trademark in order to use the TM. So basically everybody should always use the TM if you're doing business under um, a particular name. The R symbol is reserved only for trademarks that have been registered with the trademark office. And um, it's important to note that like just having submitted your application isn't sufficient. It has to be, you know, has to made it has to have made it all the way through the process, um, you know, cleared any oppositions and actually um, made it onto the register to be able to use that mark um, next to your um, next to your name. Um, that's a really important distinction. And actually, it can be considered trademark fraud if you are using the R symbol next to either your name or logo that has not been um, registered by the trademark office. So when in doubt, use the TM. <laughs> um, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, if you do have registered rights to that mark, by all means, use it. Um, that's another thing that's really important is, um, you know, consistency is something that people often don't consider. Um, so, uh, you know, there are a couple of things you can do to make sure that your, your mark isn't violated. One is, you know, letting everybody know that, that is your mark. So the TM, if it's unregistered, the R, if it is registered. Um, we already talked about the importance of monitoring your mark and enforcing it. Um, you know, continual use is another aspect of maintaining your rights that often gets overlooked. So, 
um, after you successfully register your mark, the PTO wants to see that you are actually still using it in commerce to identify your goods. Um, so they ask that you submit proof of that, usually at the um, between the fifth and sixth year after you register, you know, some paperwork you have to fill out. But basically, if you um, register for a mark and you use it for a bit and, you know, then you stop using it, three consecutive years of non-use are, um, in the eyes of the trademark office, essentially abandonment. So you're forfeiting your rights. Um, so in, able, in order to maintain them, it's really important that you continue to use it. Um, and not just use it, but actually use it correctly. So this can be really um, easy to overlook. It has to be, you have to use the mark exactly as it was filed. Um, so it can't be an abbreviation, it can't be, you know, um, some sort of iteration of it or an alternate spelling or shortened. It has to be exactly as it appears on your paperwork. Um, and also it has to apply to the products and services that you um, originally list on your application. So, um, you know, if you register a mark for ice cream, um, and then you start also selling hot dogs, uh, your hot dogs are not going to be covered by your ice cream mark. Um, that's important, important to understand. Um, and, you know, the PTO isn't probably looking over your shoulder to make sure that all of this is, uh, you know, buttoned up. But in many industries, you can assume that your competitors are, um, you know, and if they find uh, some non-compliance or loophole, you know, they very well may challenge you on it um, and raise it with the trademark office. And uh, that's actually what happened recently. You might have heard in the news about um, McDonald's losing its um, Big Mac trademark uh, in Europe. Um, no, so there what was happened? Ah, uh, so this was, uh, I guess it's about maybe a couple months old now, but um, it was all over the news that McDonald's lost its Big Mac mark in Europe because um, there was an Irish uh, chain, similar fast food chain called Supermac, and they um, went to the uh, EU IPO, the Intellectual Property Office in Europe, and basically uh, put a case together to illustrate why McDonald's uh, did, had not been correctly using its Big Mac mark. And one of the um, key points was that when McDonald's filed for the mark in Europe um, under their goods and services or, you know, the description of what the um, mark applies to, they included, like, everything in the kitchen sink. Like, you know, it wasn't just the burger or the sandwich. It, it, it applied to sauces and oatmeal and, um, you know, dessert items and, you know, uh, like restaurant services writ large kind of thing. They, they really packed in a lot under that mark. And at the end of the day, it came to bite them because the, P, the um, EU IPO essentially said, you know, you are not using this mark as it was filed. They weren't able to prove that they were um, applying Big Mac to all these um, number of things that was uh, part of the registration and so they struck it from the record entirely um, and it was really reinforcing this idea that you know it's really use it or lose it um, wow. so this tiny little chain in Ireland had this you know major uh, intellectual property victory um, and of course McDonald's can challenge that um, 
but um, you know, it was just a good reminder that correct use it can be critical. Wow, that's a great story. <laughs> that's crazy, and you know, good for the little guy. Uh, and his, yeah, uh, paying attention, but that's where a big brand is easy to to spot. So, how yeah. long does a trademark last? I mean, do you have to renew it? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, unlike other forms of intellectual property, um, trademarks can live forever, but there are specific intervals at which you need to essentially show the trademark office that you're still using it and file more paperwork. So I believe um, the first is, um, you know, statements of use at the between the fifth and sixth year, and then after that, it's every 10 years. Um, and if you fail to file, or even if you fail to file on time without requesting an extension, um, your mark will be considered dead. Um, and that essentially means that anybody can then um, submit a new application for it, including yourself. So if your mark does go dead and you want to revive it, you have to start all over again with, um, by submitting an application. Wow. So you got to do it all over again. Yeah, so it really pays to, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, not set it and forget it. In this instance, you really need to stay on top of, um, you know, the care and feeding of your mark. Right. Wow. Boy, Allie, this is great information. So, and, and it sounds like Trademark.com ha has a lot of valuable resources for people to sort of navigate this whole thing. So, will you tell us um, some about Trademark.com and, you know, how people can learn more? Of course. So Trademark.com is, you know, a DIY tool that is designed to help small business owners protect their brands. So there are a number of things that um, entrepreneurs can find there. One is, you know, help with registering their mark with the PTO, as we discussed. Um, there's also a great search function that lets you um, go through the, the um, you know, trademark database, the USPTO database, and look for similar marks before you apply. Um, you can also enroll in trademark monitoring, um, and this is a fantastic service that will give you an alert about um, incoming new registration applications that may be um, problematically similar to your own. Um, and then it gives you, of course, all the additional information that you would need to take action on that if, if you decide to do so. And then we have a ton of just educational resources on trademark best practice. Um, so, of course, it's not legal advice, um, but it's really in-depth, um, you know, help with understanding, um, you know, how to, how to be a good trademark owner, how to care for and protect your brand, um, and it's, none of it is in legalese. It's very accessible, um, you know, resources designed to, to get you going and make you, um, you know, really equip you for, for this journey. That's great. That is wonderful. What a great service. Well, thanks so much for sharing this information and, and that information um, with the listeners. And listeners, thank you for tuning in and, and learning more about this. This is an important topic that you do need to pay attention to. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Audible.com and Gusto. To get your free trial of audible.com and a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to sign up. For payroll processing you'll love, sign up for a demo of Gusto today at gusto.com slash accelerate. 
Listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.